Hi everyone, my name is Anisha Murphy and I'm the owner of Just Law LLC. Hi, I'm Michelle Tran Marins. I'm the Sparkler in Chief at We Sparkle. Welcome to our podcast, We Just Sparkle. Where we provide business advice that grows sustainable entrepreneurs who shine. Welcome to our podcast, We Just Sparkle, co-hosted by me, Michelle Tran Marins, and by lovely co-host, Anisha Murphy. Hi, everyone. We are super excited to have Rebecca join us today, and I will pass it back to Michelle. So Rebecca Foley is uh, speaking with us today about her business, and we're very excited to have her on because we know it's the month of April when typically people file their taxes. So they have a lot of questions about accounting and finances and how to uh, be better with their bookkeeping. So we're really excited to talk with her about that. Um, And we're just gonna kick it off with our first question to you, Rebecca, which is just to tell us about yourself and and your business. I feel like this could be a whole thing right here. Just my backstory, mostly because I'm a talker, but I grew up in accounting. My dad is an accountant and I started working for his business at the age of 11, um, which sounds very impressive, but really I was, you know, especially when I say what I was doing, because I was doing his marketing, um, really I was just printing off mailers and sending them and doing some data entry, but it prepared me for later in life. Um, I got to call, well, growing up, I always heard, are you going to be an accountant like your dad? And my response was always, oh, heck no, because I hate deadlines. Deadlines are the worst thing in the world. I hate tax season. I'm a bookkeeper. I still have to deal with it a little bit. So yeah, so I was like, no, not going to happen. And I went into college. And of course, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I have no idea, but I don't want to do accounting. So I went for school for psychology. Got to the end of my, near the end of my program. And I realized that I also like, didn't want to be in school forever. And I kept going to these interviews and everyone would tell me I didn't have experience. So at that point I was just like, okay, if I don't have experience in this field, and if I can't get experience in this field, because I don't have experience, it's a circular thing. I have all this job experience. I've been working since I was 11. That has to count for something. And that's when I started to realize the value of what my dad gave me, right? He trained me. Michelle, like, I'm sure you have a lot of this from seeing your your mom uh, as an entrepreneur. Like, I realized what he gave me. And so I was just like, okay, what can I I do with this? I'm going to try to get back into uh, accounting. I realized... I could be a bookkeeper, that part I enjoyed without having to be an accountant. And I could work with what I enjoyed and the skills that I had. So I started working in businesses as kind of a bookkeeper or in the business office, trying to get my feet back, my feet wet, get myself back into it. You know, kind of everything going almost full circle. My dad was like, why? I have a client that needs a bookkeeper. Why don't you do some work for this person? And so I was still like thinking of that as like, I'm, in the meantime kind of thing. And I wasn't thinking of it in terms of building a business. I was thinking of it in terms of just surviving. And from there, I ended up 
you know, starting to build a business, but I really didn't know what I was doing. And I feel like in a lot of ways that could just be me in a nutshell is like, I'm constantly learning in my brain. I'm always like, I don't know what I'm doing, which is true, but I can learn. And so I formed a partnership and that worked until it didn't, which is a very nice way of saying, if you go into a partnership with anyone, it's good to not be friends with that person. Like that was my, my thought process. I was like, this will work because we're not friends. So I'm not emotionally invested. The problem is I didn't know her values and that going into 2016, that became a huge thing. Um, I, at first I was like, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on it. It became an even bigger thing to the point where it, it couldn't exist. I got to the point where I wasn't happy. So tell us about how partnerships are not only value add in your business, but how being in partnership or entering into a partnership with the right person can actually determine the outcome of your business. For me, a successful partnership, you have to have the expectation that you both have the same end goal. Like you want the same culture for your business. And if you're not like communication is very key. And I think that's what kept us going for so long. Cause I mean, we were, um, we were in business for like three and a half years. I was in that partnership for about three and a half years. And I think part of what kept us going was my patience and, um, communication. So I think communication is a big thing. And I usually, like, I would say to my business partner that it's a lot like a marriage. Like you have to have commitment, you have to have communication. And so I really ap approached, even though I you know, went into it knowing like, I can't be friends with this person. I can't be emotionally invested necessarily, but I still was like, okay, but how people interact. And this is probably also where my psychology background comes in, um, how people interact and how they um, build relationships with each other will affect the end goal and you know the goals that they reach. And so I was very aware of that. And I think that is a very large component of a successful partnership. But again, going back to, I think you have to have that conversation. What are your goals here? What do you value? And what, do you, what kind of culture do you want to build? Because if you don't, you know, for like a very traditional partnership, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have that in mind, it's going to be go in a direction that you don't necessarily want it to go. Before I go in that direction, I should stop and say, I think Michelle probably knows this already, but my husband is Chinese Malay. So I'm in an interracial relationship and our daughter is mixed. So he pointed out to me, I, we live in the Northwest suburbs and I had gotten to the point where I had just kind of accepted that working with people that don't value working with folks who have been historically excluded, like that that's a thing. Like that's just a sacrifice I have to make in order to do business. I, I had fully accepted that. It's very monoculture out here and it's very white centric. And so I just like didn't think about putting an effort to change things. I just accepted what they were. And my husband pointed out to me one day, I was at a networking group and it was a group that I had joined and that was the only thing I was doing for networking. I was just going to this group. And they had posted a picture on Facebook and it was all of the members of the group um, 
and there was no representation like it was only white folks and my husband pointed it out to me it started clicking and I was like oh oh and I really like for me a lot of my motivation and she would probably laugh if she heard this but my daughter is a lot of my motivation so it was, like, it was one of those things where it was like a huge moment for me and I was like how is my daughter going to look at my business? How is my, you know, these are the things that I value out here and what I'm doing over here, they're very diametrically opposed. And I don't feel comfortable with that. Like I'm in this, I'm unhappy because I'm living with this cognitive dissonance. And so I started going through the list of all the members in this organization and I started counting. Like, I was like, I'm going to see, like, is there any, how, how much representation is there here and, and what's going on? And I was like, this, this isn't just a problem with my chapter. This is a problem all over the place. So that was like a major motivating factor for me. I was like, I'm going to change this here at this business that I had started with my partner. Didn't go over well with my partner. I was the one doing the mark, the networking and the marketing. So it should have been okay. Like that should have been my area. That's a whole nother conversation. It doesn't necessarily need to be here. So I left because I was like, this is not going to change. We're growing and this isn't going to grow with it. And I don't want to be a part of an, I don't not even a part, but building an organization that doesn't value the same things I value. Um, so I started finding spaces that really worked for me. It, it took time. Um, I went to a event at the Mung American Partnership, which was so fun. They had like, they had a networking meeting and I loved it. And I was like, this, this, I could totally, this could totally be my space and I would love it. I'm super comfortable with Asian folks because of my husband, but I was like realizing all the other folks that I'm not necessarily comfortable with in the sense of like, how do I, you know, interact? Cause I haven't had that experience lately. Um, so one of the things that I did was I, one of the huge gaps was the LGBTQ plus community. So I contacted one of my clients who happens to be a member of that community. And I was like, do you have any recommendations? Like, where should I, where can I go to meet LGBTQ plus folks? And I was like, do you have anyone in your network? And she's horrible at networking. Like I love her dearly. She's amazing networking and self-promotion do not work for her like that is not her thing but then she can you know so she's like I don't know anybody and of course you don't okay that you were probably not the person to ask but then she came back with but I once spoke at the coven okay tell me more I started going to events there and it was amazing but once I launched the digital membership I was it was something I didn't know I needed but I needed it. And it, it's been amazing. And someone else uh, had recommended Twin Cities Quorum, which has also been amazing. Uh, I started, I joined them in August of 2020. And I just like, I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So that's kind of been my thing. But really, I just also when I network with folks, I'm like, hey, do you, you know, if you know business owners that are um, from underrepresented and marginalized communities, I would love to connect with them. Like that's kind of just been my thing. Um, 
and it that's kind of how not exactly how I met Michelle um but I just went through <laughs> early in the pandemic I would go to fix it Friday at uh which was an event with Lunar Startup and the Coven and I would just go through the list of people and I'd start googling their names and looking for you know what they were doing and things like that and Michelle was one of those folks I actually last year the pandemic hit and I was like what the heck am I going to do? 75% of my clients are customer facing non-essential. And I'm like, I, I don't have work. I mean, I had some and going into it, I was like, oh, we're going to be fine because we can work from home. We already do that. Except for my clients, they don't. And so I had to kind of think, okay, well, you know, I, I took my time to more and I was like, oh gosh. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, I'll just go back to the drawing board and make it better. And it gave me a really good time to, or a really good chance to build my business and build my network in a really like very positive way and focus on it in a way that I wouldn't have had to if my client or my workload had been normal. One thing that I started doing, and it wasn't my idea, it was some, something I learned from someone else. I started doing a 90 people in 90 days challenge. And that's, Michelle was part of that. I connected with 90 people in 90 days. She didn't tell me it was 90 business days. So I started, I'm like, I have to meet seven people a week, which was very intense. Um, it got to the point where I realized, oh wait, I can do five people a week. That's not so bad. Towards the end, I didn't make my goal, spoiler alert. Um, but towards the end, it was like three or four a week. And I try to maintain that so that I can still network um, and build those relationships. But the thing that I really like was thinking about this morning before coming on, it's not like, I have, was having this approach to networking that I fully didn't even realize I was having. But for me, it's all about building community. Um, I tried to compartmentalize and it doesn't work for me because I'm all, whenever I meet someone new, I'm usually like, they're my new friend. <laughs> Which, you know, in business, you're not supposed to have friends. You, whatever, I don't know. I don't agree with that, but that's fine. That's kind of what they teach you is you're not supposed to have friends. But every time I meet meet someone and start building this, you know, community and like they're my new friends and how can I help my new friends? And my friends have to meet each other. So it'd be great. Let's transition into some questions that I know Anisha and I both hear a lot from small business owners because we work with mm -hmm. so many. Um, one big question that comes up a lot is what's the difference between an accountant and a bookkeeper? you know, and a CPA, could you kind of outline those differences for people? Yes, absolutely. This is a really good question because um, I get it all the time. And I even have clients, even clients that I've had for six plus years who will confuse me with an accountant and they will refer to me as their accountant, to which I immediately pipe up and say, no, I'm your bookkeeper. Um, the difference and Anisha will really get this difference. It's like a paralegal and a lawyer. So in the law industry, the paralegal prepares things for the lawyer and the lawyer takes the trial. In our industry, the bookkeeper prepares things for the accountant and the accountant files the taxes. You know, very minutely, we focus on getting the transactions, your transactions entered into, to, we use QuickBooks, um, getting them assigned correctly, 
which is really like interesting too, because a lot of people assume that we deal a lot with math and that we're good at math. I use calculators. Calculators are amazing. <laughs> My big thing is I assign things to where they need to go. Of course, like not getting into the trap of overthinking, okay, well, this could be an office expense or it could be a job supplies thing, or it could even be over here, but just figuring out, okay, it's, we're gonna assign it this way and it's be very consistent with that. That's a very minute part of it, but that's a major difference. So would you say that then a bookkeeper um, helps sort of keep the business together and the um, accountants or CPAs is for like sort of forward facing. So like like um, things that have happened in the past, like like purchases that have happened in the past, that would be for a bookkeeper. But like opportunities for the future is where the CPA will come in because they'll tell you from a tax and accounting perspective of whether or not you can do it, what's your tax liabilities from doing it. They can also help with the data and the numbers around, oh, in this industry, someone, you know, did this and this is what the data is saying from that. Would you like say that was a fair? In some cases, oh, sorry, were you? No, 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 yeah, go ahead. Okay, in some cases, definitely. Um, in a lot of cases, and this is kind of my frustration with the work sometimes, I'm very forward thinking. So I'm very much like, okay, this is the transactions that we had, but how is this going to affect us moving forward? What are our plans moving forward? And that's why part of why my business is called Phoenix Growth Systems, because we're working with our clients to build plans for the future and to build in processes that help them do that. A lot of accountants, they're looking at, you know, if you've got a good one, they're gonna look at what you have, like, you know, you, you, you talk to them in September and they're gonna look at what you have and they're gonna try to help you make plans for the rest of the year so that you can reduce your tax liability at the end of the year or just make the system work best for you. Um, but if you're not, if you don't have that kind of relationship with your accountant, or if your accountant isn't like that, isn't their skill set, then they're just going to look at your past history and they may not even really evaluate it. They may just plug in the numbers and move on. Um, and so it really depends on the person that you're working with, but you want someone who's going to look at the past and use the past to bring you into the future, I think would be the best way to narrow it down um you know you spoke a lot about your network and how finding your tribe and your network really determines your net worth can you give some tips on how or how to turn just net simple networking opportunities into paid opportunities because there's that's a skill set that I am even still learning to do because I'm always like I just genuinely want to help and don't worry about it and I'm like yeah but my time and help and I have to start monetizing that otherwise I'll get tired so how do you how have you found if you can give like three or four tips that you found um, to actually turn networking opportunities into paid opportunities, that would be really helpful. I mean, if you could tell me that'd be great too, because I don't fully know. <laughs> like I said earlier, there's a whole lot I don't know. Um, my big focus, like in the last year, was not necessarily like turning it into monetizing it or turning it into opportunities, especially during the early days of the pandemic because 
everybody was hurting. Mm -hmm. um, so really for me, it was all about building that network, building that tribe. I think I'm really heading into that phase or I think even towards the end of the year, I was heading into that phase where I was getting, you know, where I've been monetizing it. And a lot of it I realized was folks that I had connected with that said, you know, I do my own bookkeeping, but I have an issue with this area or I have an issue with that area. And they wanted me to do tutoring, which I did in the before times. Um, in fact, one of my biggest challenges when COVID first hit was that I had to figure out how to take one of my tutoring clients from on site because that's what I had been doing to offsite and doing it via Zoom. So that's been something that I've really had to change during the pandemic. Um, but that was like the, the thing that I learned was there was an opportunity in the market for working with solo entrepreneurs that they just needed um, tutoring. And my networking just kind of naturally led into that. I didn't really do anything for that to happen. I just kind of trusted other people, which that's really hard to do, right? But I just trusted that if they needed me, they would come to me. Um, so other than that, I don't know how to really describe how I monetized that other than just like building those relationships and really having the attitude that what I put out would come back to me. I know it's kind of hippy dippy, but <laughs> that was my approach. It's time. I think that is very helpful. I think, um, that sort of give first mentality, it does come back to you. Um, and kind of along those lines of kind of giving, um, what advice would you give to small business owners as a bookkeeper when it comes to their finances? Because I know a lot of the business owners that I work with and probably Anisha as well, um, finances is, you know, not their thing. They, they're scared of numbers. They, um, you know, there's a lot of money trauma in some of the communities that I work with. Uh, do you have any advice about how people can approach finances, accounting, um, and, and make it not so scary? Um, number one, and this is what we always say, so it's, it's going to be very cliche, keep your business and your personal expenses separate. It's a very simple and it's a very cliche thing to say. At the same time, it helps you track your numbers for your business in a way that's much easier because you're not having to pick out all of your personal stuff. Like you're not having to say, okay, well, was this a personal expense or was this a business expense? If you later down the road need to hire someone, they don't have to go through your personal expenses and do the same gymnastics and figure out, okay, is that personal or is that business? And so it makes the whole process so much easier. And if you're in a situation where I've, I've run across this a few times where folks haven't quite gotten to the point where they've actually gotten their LLC, because I mean, it's cost prohibitive. That's probably a whole nother discussion too, but it's like $155 to start an LLC, which for some folks is a problem. And um, so usually if that's the issue, I say, then just open an account in your name, like a personal checking account in your name and use it for business purposes. I don't know if that's, there's probably legal options, problems there. <laughs> Anisha is nodding, but it's a good place to start. And sometimes you just need to have a good place to start. Um, another thing that I would say, like along those lines is start out how you mean to continue. Like start building those building blocks for how you want your business to be 
start early and start, if you have to start small, start small. Um, I mean, I started small. Granted, it's taken me like 10 years to get to where I'm at and I'm probably not exactly where I want to be, but that keeps us going. Uh, yeah, so build systems in place early on so that there, you don't have to scramble at, when you're at those places. You already have that foundation. I was saying that's so important um, of like how you structure your business. And I tell a lot of my clients that, especially uh, individuals that I just do general consultations with, is like how you structure your business sets the tone for the matriculation or the life cycle of the business. So in regards to structuring, when it comes to finance, um, I get that, you know, what are some common structures that can be put in place to help businesses start off on the right path? It's a good so question you, too. You mentioned one being no commingling and legally you actually can't commingle because it's a part mm -hmm. of your fiduciary duty. So you can mm -hmm. actually get in trouble for commingling, but what other structures should be in place from a financial um, perspective so that you know, these businesses are set up um, on the right footing when they first start? That's a good question. So a lot of times, like, there's different structures, right? There's the LLC. There's maybe an LLC partnership. We talked about partnerships earlier. And um, there's an S-Corp. And how you're set up affects your taxes, like your tax liability. From a tax perspective, you know, a lot of times we think LLC, there's separation. Cool. Um, from a tax perspective, they're not separate. And so when you have your transactions in your LLC, even though we're saying, okay, you need to have them separated. You need to have your personal expenses over here. Your personal income needs to be over here. And your business expenses need to be over here. And at the end of the day, they still get funneled all into the same place. I think, I think understanding, because that's another question that I get a lot of times of like, how an LLC, how an S-Corp and assumed names are just pass-through entities. And mm -hmm. there's not a ton of benefits to them, but there are different tax, I, I should say liabilities that mm -hmm. each of them brings. Like for example, when you're an LLC, you can hire staff, but you can't hire yourself on because you can't pay, um, on a, you can't pay yourself a salary uh, on unemployment. I mean, so you can't take unemployment from self-employment income, right? And like um, an S-Corp, you can hire yourself on so you get some more tax benefits. And like how a partnership is separated, like how does, even as an LLC partnership, what does that mean? And how do you file taxes? Still income flows as a pass-through entity, so it's personal income, right? And then versus the S-Corp from a C-Corp, the difference with the double taxation. So I do think it answers the questions of like, how at every level of the entity that you're in, how the proper system should be in place to help you at the end of the day, either lessen your tax liability and or just have these proper uh, systems so that in the event that you're ever sued, right? Mm -hmm. You're able to easy and easily access this information to be able to reproduce in the time that it's needed. Yeah, definitely keeping on top of your books on a regular basis will help with that process, right? Um, and if we kind of go to the other side, well, uh, from a structure standpoint and from a tax standpoint, a partnership, you're going to have a percentage split. So 
like using my former partnership as an example, we were 50-50. So I had 50% of the liability and 50% of the equity of the business and my partner had the other one. Uh, how that affected us in, in tax purposes was basically like an LLC, we get a K-1 and that gets applied to our 1040 uh, at the end of the year. Um, it's a pass-through. With an S-Corp, it's kind of different. I, mean, you know, I want to say very different, but it's just an added layer of separation. So you have like the legal separation, which I think from a legal standpoint, it's probably even more separation as an LLC. I'm not 100% certain on that. Um, but then also you have tax separation, which can be very beneficial if you're trying to buy a house because this is the issue I'm running into, because they want your W-2s. The only way you can get W-2s is if you're a corporation. Um, so that's, a, you can pay yourself and you get your tax withholding. Usually the reason why people go with an S-Corp is they want um, that withholding so that at the end of the year, they have less liability at the end of the year. Uh, so it helps plan, um, I forgot the word. I was thinking not the opposite of retroactively, <laughs> proactively. So you're thinking proactively versus retroactively. And how you set up your business and how you do you know, your chart of accounts and how you assign your transactions all kind of hinge on those different components, right? If you're an LLC, you don't have the, the tax liability. So you wanna do, and you don't have the, um, payroll. So you want to pay yourself using a draw off of your equity. And that's how that gets assigned. And I mean, going into getting paid, you want to make sure you're getting paid. <laughs> I've, I've gone through times where I haven't been able to pay myself because the money isn't there. That's a whole cash flow thing. That's another issue. But um, making sure, like, figure out what you can reasonably pay yourself and still maintain the business and then assign that to an equity account. Usually like an owner's draw, something like that. And that's how usually you track your income in an LLC. Would you suggest them for an LLC setting up? Um, Cause you, you just mentioned so many important points and so many important deals. The first is that when you're a pass-through entity, like an assumed name, an LLC or an escort, and all your income flows as personal income. And so that what that means is that if you have, and so many entrepreneurs that I know all of us advise, um, have a side job in addition to a full-time job. And so just understanding and knowing that, like for example, in Just Law, if I did 50,000 last year and I make 150,000 bring home, for example, my full-time job, while I'm taxed, before, if like say like all the benefits that I can get, I'm taxed at two hundred thousand dollars, and that puts me in a higher tax bracket than it would if I had tax like deductions, like children, a house, etc. And so understanding and knowing that was a really good distinction that you brought up because I think so many small business owners don't realize at what level they'll be taxed and how, as past two entities, it just taxed onto your earned income at the end of the year. Um, that's why having a good bookkeeper and having a good uh, CPA can really help you, um, I wouldn't say manipulate, but help you 
get the biggest benefit in the entity type that you're in. Mm -hmm. um, you also, and I, that led me to a question for um, an LLC structure, say like even if I'm taking owner's draw, right? And I know all my income is coming through owner's draw. Could I set up a payroll um, while, you know, I'm technically not paying in unemployment and all of that, but I can literally set up a payroll to do that myself. So instead of it going to the state for unemployment, I can set up an account where I'm paying myself unemployment, quote unquote, so that in the event that I ever need to pull, it's almost like a business emergency fund that I'm creating now. And if I ever need to pull from it, I can use it. In addition, or how, how does that work when you get to an LLC? Because all income flows as just owner's job, personal income. That's a really good question. I think a lot of um, businesses learned the value of having a savings account during the pandemic, right? Because especially ones where it's a sole proprietorship or maybe you have employees, but you know, is you don't really have a safety net for yourself. You know, you want to have savings so that you can cover your employees. Like you want your employees to be covered and you, if something were to happen and you have less income, you still want to be able to make that payroll. Um, and you also want to get paid. The problem with it is taxes, right? If you have that income saved, you're still going to get taxed on it. And I think, and I don't know like all the ins and outs of the tax part of it because I'm not a CPA, but I do know like that's one of the things we run into. I had a client, I don't think it was his last year in 2020, but in 2019, we went into 2020 and he was doing amazing. That was kind of the really disheartening thing too, was I had probably about four or five clients that were like on the precipice of huge growth going into 2020. And that just kind of, you know, some of them were able to, you know, still do well they didn't completely crash but like it tanked and it was that part was very hard emotionally um but going back to the savings account that was what he ran into he had all this extra income and he couldn't um like we were trying to balance like he had this extra income he wanted to put it into savings how do we roll that into like not get, how do we balance not getting taxed on it versus having that safety net for his client, you know, for his employees or for himself? So I would just say in general, having a good financial planner is also really important because they could help um, find ways to get you the most benefit so that you're not taxed on that income, whether it's using that savings income to buy an asset for the business, like a vehicle, or moving that, or using that savings income to then put it in a 401k, a Roth R IRA that you eventually are not taxed on. And so I think to Rebecca's point, the biggest thing is, is that there are a lot of partners in business that a lot of minority entrepreneurs don't realize. Like, legal, like your, um, your marketing team, like your financial team. And we're, we really are your partners in business and that we help your um, business grow throughout the life cycle where other people may come in and out. You can strategize with the, these core individuals that will then help make sure your business is not only structured properly, 
but receiving the most benefits through its life cycle. Is there sort of one piece of advice that you would give an entrepreneur on their entrepreneurial journey? <sighs> Maybe two. <laughs> Always be learning. Um, I think it's fascinating. And, you know, as a having that background in psychology, like my brain's always like, why? Why does this work this way? I think it's fascinating that the entrepreneurs that are successful are the ones that are always learning. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, what is that? I always look for correlations, even though my professors in research methods are saying that's not the best research method. I'm always like, what is the correlation between entrepreneurs that are always learning and a successful business? I know they go hand in hand. It happens. One day I would love to know why, but yeah. So always be learning is like my thing. And then networking. Networking is a huge component. And everybody says it is kind of cliche too, but I really think approaching networking as building your community um, or as Anisha said, like your tribe um, versus like just building a network of people that know about your brand and, you know, doing it to, what is the other purpose of networking? I don't even remember at this point in time. Um, but just having like a very clear purpose and being very focused on building your network. Um, I think those are my two big things. I've learned so much uh, from this conversation. I'm sure we could go on and on, but um, I think wrapping up with the last question is, is there anything that you would like to share with our audience um, in terms of your business? You have a website or um, anything that you would like to share? Oh, like my pluggables. Um, okay, so Phoenix Growth Systems, we are on the internet. We have a website, it's phoenixgrowthsystems.com. Um, you can reach me on LinkedIn. Uh, I think if you just do Google Rebecca Foley, I'm there. Um, otherwise, if you wanted to email me, it's Rebecca at Phoenix Growth Systems. Com. I love connecting with people. So, yeah. Okay. You are awesome, Rebecca. Thank you for all the gems that you gave us on this, you know, this session today. I learned so much, like literally, and just like took so many notes. So thank you for taking time out to share with us today. I could um, talk with both of you all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rebecca Foley, for joining Anisha and me on our podcast, We Just Sparkle. We've learned so much from you, and this has been a great conversation. I think everyone will have some good takeaways about keeping their personal finances and their business finances separate um, and finding good partners who can help you to grow your business. So thank you so much.